And this morning, if we come here feeling weak, if we come here in a state of brokenness, we have the opportunity to find encouragement. And that is our prayer this morning, that you will find encouragement in the songs that we are singing, in the prayers that are lifted up, in the opening of God's Word, and especially in this central moment of why we gather together, in the breaking of bread and the sharing of the cup, remembering what the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. We heard that story earlier in the telling of the story of Jesus from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that passage that Roland read for us, where Paul calls on the church to have the same attitude as those of Christ Jesus. And then he tells the story of Jesus. He tells us how we can conform to his image and walk in his steps. He's the one who took on flesh. He's the one who humbled himself and gave himself up for the sake of others. And as a church, we have the opportunity to do the same thing for others, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And one of the ways we do this is through our speech. Now, last week, we honed in on this, this one critical facet of our witness, what I call the King's Speech in this series called Crucial Conversations. Now, Crucial Conversations is based on the title of a book written by four different authors. It's tools for talking when the stakes are high. And it's important for believers to be able to use their words well. We are witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these conversations are very specific, what we're talking about in this series in May. These are not your everyday, run-of-the-mill conversations about football, gardening, whatever it is we talk about, small talk. These conversations are very specific. There are three elements, and if you recall last week, there was a triangle that had the different facets. So one element, there are opposing opinions. That's the nice way of saying that there are some disagreements. The opinions vary, but also the stakes are high. These are crucial, crucial, important conversations that will have consequences and implications for our lives. And with the other two, usually there are strong emotions. And so often when we enter into these types of conversations, we don't handle them as well as we should but as followers of Christ, we can't settle for handling these conversations poorly. To handle these conversations poorly is to take our lamp, to take our light and hide it under a bushel. Or worse, to snuff out the light that is within us to those to whom we are being witnesses. So how do we do this? How do we engage one another in ways that honor God in these types of conversations when the emotions are running strong? Well, it begins with what we hear every 10 weeks from the book of James, our shepherd's scripture, James chapter 1. The church is called to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Well, humor is often born out of situations where there's misunderstanding, there's miscommunication. A lot of the great comedians, really all they do is sit around and observe and listen to the way people speak to each other, and they poke fun at the way we miscommunicate. 
One of the humorists that really capitalized on this was Gary Larson, the creator of the Far Side comic strips. And I have a few here that highlight some of the miscommunication that can occur for you dog lovers out there. We hear what we say to dogs, and then there's what they hear, and I have done this with our dog. Other miscommunications from the far side. Wait, wait, cancel that. I guess it says health. So... So, Andre, the king wants to know how you're coming with St. George and the dragon. (laughs) This last one, though, I think is especially pertinent to what we're talking about today. Now, stay calm. Let's hear what they said to Bill. And, of course, Bill has arrows sticking out of his back. I think for Larson... He really played to that misunderstanding and miscommunication, this failure to communicate, and especially that last one. There's a phrase that we hear often in in movies with renegade cops. What do they say? We shoot first, ask questions later. This is the way we run things. Well, this is the way we tend to do things in our conversations as well. This idea of people talking past one another and one of the biggest mistakes we make in our conversations is that we fail to listen to one another, to establish and to contribute to what these authors call the shared pool of meaning. We'll talk more about that here in a moment, the shared pool of meaning. It's the part we often skip when the emotions vary and the stakes are high, when the emotions run strong and the opinions differ, It's difficult to pause and to make sure that we're talking about the same thing, and so we shoot first, and we ask questions later. And so often in a heated debate, what we fail to do is actually articulate the problem. What is it exactly we disagree, on which we disagree? If there's going to be any chance for these crucial conversations to go well, well, we have to take some time, and we have to inquire and ask some questions We have to restate what the other person said to us because otherwise we might not be talking about the same thing and we can think back to some crucial conversations that we may have had where we were not even talking about the same thing and it ended up in a bad situation. Well, we we have a tremendous example in Scripture and what I would call one of the high marks of the early church and that's in Acts chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and turn there, To Acts chapter 15, you have the four Gospels, and then you have the book of Acts. And Acts is the companion, the second volume of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the story of Jesus, his ministry here on earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But the book of Acts is the continuing work of Jesus, but through the church, and through his spirit that fills the church. And when we come to Acts chapter 15, we have a major point of contention. Now, now we have some contention today in the church. We have some crucial conversations that are happening. I'm talking church, church-wide, church in general, issues of worship and gender and sexuality. These are hot topics in the church today. And the opinions vary, the stakes are high, the emotions run strong. But I wonder 
if the things that we talk about, how they compare to the major issue in the early church, this idea of what to do with the Gentiles. So there at the beginning, you had Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles. And I think it's difficult for us sometimes to put ourselves in the shoes or in the sandals of the, the first century Jews and to think about how rapidly things were changing there with the coming of the Messiah. Think about the, the cosmic shift in thinking and perspective and the transitions that were taking place in just a few months, a few years there in the early church. And the biggest issue, the biggest question was what to do with the nations? What to do with these Gentiles? Now going back for centuries, Jews and Gentiles were separated because Jews believed that they were the chosen people of God, and rightfully so. They were the chosen people of God. The promises of blessings went to Abraham and his descendants. But when we read Genesis chapter 12 closely and the promises that God gives Abraham, it is for the sake of the world. Abraham's descendants are going to be a blessing to the whole world through Abraham's seed. And so the Jewish people were to be set apart from the nations in their adherence to the law of Moses, in their diet, and in the marker of the covenant, circumcision. This was the sign of the covenant people of God going all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. The males were to be circumcised. Now Gentiles could become part of the people of God if they became Jews first, if they adhered to the law, and even if their males, even adult males, were circumcised, which is a major barrier, a major barrier to becoming part of the people of God. So just a little bit more background. There's a group of people who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they worshipped and they prayed to God. But they didn't want to be circumcised. They, wanted, they did not want to follow the dietary laws of the Jews. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. These were called the God-fearers. And we run into one of them in the book of Acts. Peter runs into a man named Cornelius. Cornelius believed in God. He believed with all of his heart in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he was an uncircumcised Gentile. And he was called the God-fearer. But as the Spirit worked among those earliest believers, it became apparent that God's mission extended beyond the nation of Israel. It extended to the whole world. The Spirit was active in the lives of Gentiles. And this, of course, led to this big clash of ideas and this major shift in thinking. Let's pick up the story at the end of Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are missionaries, and they had gone out to Asia Minor in this missionary journey. And they've come back to their home base in Antioch, and they're, they're talking and declaring about what God has done among the Gentiles. Let's pick it up in verse 27 of Acts chapter 14. And when they arrived, Paul and Barnabas, 
and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria on the way to Jerusalem, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. This is no trivial matter. This is the epitome of a crucial conversation. The opinions could not be more varied. There is no middle ground here. The stakes could not be higher. The very gospel was at stake. And of course, the emotions were running strong. This was a major crossroads moment for the church. And the potential for disaster was enormous. Certainly the potential to talk past one another. I could see how this conversation would go south with both sides of the equation launching grenades at one another without really listening to each other. Can you hear it? Paul and Barnabas, you liberals, trying to tear down the fence of stability, trying to rip apart the law of Moses, what are you doing? You Pharisees, you old stuck-in-the-muds, you wouldn't know the gospel if it hit you in the face. This was the first major doctrinal crisis of the church. And they had to be right on this one. So how do they do it? How do they get through this point of contention and come out on the other side? Well, first and foremost, it was by the grace of God at work within them and by the Spirit guiding them and sustaining them. The same Spirit that indwells us, that guides us and sustains us even today. But what the Spirit prompted them to do is exactly what the authors of Crucial Conversations encourage people to do when they engage in these high-stakes conversations, and that is to establish and contribute to the shared pool of meaning in order to continue the dialogue to take time to articulate the specifics of the disagreement. So I do some premarital counseling, and there's a section in our premarital counseling that has to do with conflict resolution. And whenever we come to an issue, the very first thing we do is we sit down and we define the problem as specifically as we can. Because the temptation is to speak in generalities and to keep it way up here in general and what ends up happening is we're talking about two different things when you peel back the layers. And this is what this group of believers, what this group of leaders do there in Acts chapter 15. They take the time, 
They create the space to figure out what the issues actually are. They engage in some lively debate, and then they call up Peter. Say, Peter, tell us what you've seen. Tell us about your interaction with the Gentiles. Give us your assessment of the situation. And so Peter gives this speech about what he has witnessed, what he has seen. And then in verse 12, Paul and Barnabas are called before the crowd. And they give their testimony. And they, they testify to the signs and wonders that God had done among them and through them among the Gentiles. And I guess in today's climate, it would be called coming to a shared group of facts. If we have a different set of facts, well, we're going to be talking past each other. So not only was there the space for each party to contribute, but each party did that. They, they contributed to the shared pool of meaning. And it's only after that... It's only after that space of conversation and dialogue when James makes the judgments and he says, I believe this is what God is doing. God's incorporating the Gentiles into the family and and we are not to put the burdens of circumcision on them. They are part of the family of God by grace through faith. This is where God was leading them. But if they didn't take the time to stop and pause And listen, this conversation would have ended as quickly as it began, and it would have ended in confusion and anger, and worst of all, deep-seated division, which is where a lot of our crucial conversations go from time to time. It's not how it ended, though. Look at verse 22 of chapter 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders... With the whole church, there is a consensus with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they send this letter, and it's a good ending with this consensus that was reached, but not without first coming to a shared pool of meaning. Which brings us to our crucial conversations today. Are you engaged in a crucial conversation? Do you have one that's coming up? It's right around the door. We have these conversations that are church-wide and also individual in our marriages and in our workplaces and in our relationships. How many times could a heated argument have been diffused if he would just take that initial step to take a step back and ask the questions and contribute to the shared pool of meaning to make sure that we are talking about the same thing. And at the end of the day, we really want to be heard. Both sides. We want to be heard. Well, there are lots of techniques and skills to hone and do this, but in general, we want to be quick to listen and slow to speak, and this involves taking off our prosecutor hats, and it's hard to do when you're in a heated argument. You, 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 to take off our prosecutor hat and put on our investigator hat. And to investigate what the other person's point of view is and how they came to that point of view. To genuinely be interested in the other side of the argument. To investigate. And instead of speaking in absolutes, to calmly 
question and inquire and seek the other person's point of view. Maybe their point of view is unexamined. Maybe it's not. Maybe at the end of the day, we're not going to agree. And yet we are still connected. And the dialogue is still open. One of the things we can do is to restate what we heard, what the other person said. Give them the chance to affirm or to clarify. Yes, that's exactly what I said. Or no, that's, that's not what I said at all. Here's what I really meant to say. We need to be assertive, but not accusatory. What I tell our couples in premarital counseling is to use I statements, not you statements. I feel, I, I, not you. We avoid words like never and always, these words of absolutes, if you want to keep the dialogue going. Well, there, there are lots of techniques this is, these are the basics of conflict resolution. There are books and books and books and videos written on this. Crucial Conversations, that book, they have some very specific skills and techniques to learn. But really what I'm talking about is more of an approach. It's, it's a mindset going into the conversation, checking ourselves. Because as followers of Christ, we have to be witnesses to the good news, even in our speech. Christians should be at the forefront of speaking well and creating these, these places of safety for both sides of the argument to be able to contribute to the same pool of meaning to keep the dialogue going, to stay connected to that person that is right in front of us. So much of our communication breakdown in our society happens when we shut the dialogue down. When we push people into a corner, when we argue, when we interrupt, when we try to make sure that our voice is heard above the others, when we assume motives instead of questioning and investigating what the other person has to say. So, let's take a page from the early church. Let's take a page from Acts chapter 15 and the Jerusalem Council and take time to hear both sides, to ask questions to seek understanding, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And by the grace of God, by the power of prayer, by the spirit that indwells us, we will be the good witnesses we are called to be, especially in our speech and the way that we conduct ourselves in these crucial conversations. Let us continue to resolve to be a people who are set apart that in word and deed we will be good witnesses by the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who has given us new life through the cross and through the empty tomb. This morning, if you would like to respond to the good news of the new creation that is within us, now is the time to come. If you have a prayer concern, if you've come to a point in your life where you're in a situation that is beyond you and you need the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you've come to a point of faith and you would like to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we can accommodate that. If you would like to join in with what God is doing here among us, we invite you to come and talk to us about becoming a member of this congregation. 
If you'd like to respond in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.